Well, good morning, church and friends and guests. Happy Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I suspect some of you hear those words and join in with them with natural delight. Others of you might uh, engage them through sleepy eyes and maybe even through gritted teeth. But I'll say it again. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Our call to worship this morning comes to us from the Belgic Confession, which is the oldest and most robust doctrinal standard that we have in our denomination, the Reformed Church in America. I'm going to share these words with you. In fact, we'll say them together. And it begins with an affirmation of our Christian faith in a being that is rather blandly called God, but then it goes on to offer no less than 10 attributes of God. And so I invite you to say these words together with me. Belgic Confession, Article 1, which says, We believe, we all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. And I invite you to say these next ones slowly and thoughtfully. Eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. It's hard to say it together slowly out loud, isn't it? Good job. Let's stand together and worship this God who is all of those things and much, much more. God only wise, enlightened, accessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most gracious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unhasting and silent as light, not wanting nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains lies soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Yes. 
Frieden. Friends, at this time, we're going to enter into a moment of prayer together, but I invite you to pray with your eyes open. There will be art on the screen. There will be opportunity for you to join voices together in response and also a few times where we uh, pray silently together. So please join in this prayer. Eyes open. Oh, Lord, our God, ancient of days, we thank you for the lives of those who have run the race before us, mothers and fathers of our faith, prophets, apostles, martyrs, writers, great thinkers, mercy doers, and other ordinary people, saints, who have faithfully trusted in you and loved others well. May we study their example, imitating them as they have imitated Christ, and may we remain firmly rooted in you so as to live lives worthy of the calling to which you have called us. Together we pray, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church, we are one precious body. Bind us together in loving sacrifice. Creator God, you have made us each wonderfully different from one another, a kaleidoscope of skin color, personalities, gender, culture, age and experience, gifts and passions, and each of these remind us of the beauty and wonder that exists in your created world and in you, God in Trinity. So together we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church, we are your one precious body. Bind us together in loving sacrifice. Jesus Christ, Savior of the whole world, we thank you for your kingdom work that is flourishing around the globe in the midst of, and perhaps even because of, hardship and persecution. We pause and remember our worldwide brothers and sisters in Christ who daily face barriers to publicly living and sharing their faith. Strengthen them, O Christ, to stand firm. Embolden them, O Christ, to share the hope that is in them. Encourage and guard them, O Christ, with a peace that passes all understanding. And please wake us up to the ways that we can stand with them in prayer and service. Together we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church, we are your one precious body. Bind us together in loving sacrifice. O oh God, our great physician, 
we confess today our nearsightedness and our inability to hear one another in the midst of our own fear and disagreements. We ask for healing in your body where we have sowed hatred rather than love, where we have nurtured misunderstandings instead of living out of our given unity, and where we have placed our needs and desires above the needs and desires of other fellow human beings. Together we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church, we are your one precious body. Bind us together in loving sacrifice. And God of all hope, you have loved us with an everlasting love and have committed to presenting us pure and spotless as your bride, the church. You took your radical, heart-changing love to the cross, and there you forgave our sins, conquered death and all the powers of evil, and you have freed us from the bondage of living for our own selves. As we seek to follow your example and daily take up our crosses in obedience to you, may your hope overflow in and through us to a world in desperate need. May we hear the music of hope breaking into our current realities amidst strife, conflict, heartache, brokenness, and death. May we cling to that hope with and for each other, and may it result in praise and thanksgiving offered back to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church, we are your one precious body. Bind us together in loving sacrifice. We offer these prayers, spoken and silent, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in whom all things hold together. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand and let's sing together of the church's one foundation, Jesus Christ our Lord.
and brothers in Christ, it is because of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection that we have peace with God and with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you as you are comfortable to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. Good morning, Fellowship Church. The Lord be with you. It is good to be together this morning. My name is Nate Skipper, and I am one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or you're visiting with us, uh, first off, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you would like to get to know us a little bit more and give us an opportunity to get to know you, you can fill out one of these connection cards or at the back of the sanctuary and also at the welcome center uh, right outside the sanctuary. <laughs> 
It's good to be back with you uh, this morning. Uh, well, we returned back home from Nicaragua yesterday morning at 2 a.m. after a long day of travel on Friday, um, but it was really, really, really uh, a fruitful opportunity to reconnect with some of our mission partners in Nicaragua. Uh, and one of the organizations that we support there is CEPAD, uh, C-E-P-A-D. And there's a picture of our team of folks from Fellowship. Uh, there's just a few of us uh, that have been uh, committed to, to, to serving this ministry for the last number of years. Uh, and then uh, Fabio uh, is the guy in the green hat, and Blanca is the woman in the pink shirt, and they are uh, some of the workers that work in the Pantasma region of northern Nicaragua, uh, which is the area that we support. And so they were our tour guides, if you will, and we got to see some really cool ways in which God is at work uh, in the rural parts of Nicaragua. I'll tell you one quick little story, or I'll introduce you to one person, and that's Jessica. Uh, she is the woman in the blue dress. Uh, this is the front of her home, her front door. Uh, and if you, you can't see it anymore on this picture, but if on uh, the one on my phone, <laughs> you can see inside her house, uh, and uh, there's a white thing kind of over her right shoulder, and that is her first ever sewing machine. She drove uh, two and a half hours uh, with her sister to buy it, uh, thanks to the work of Sepad, and she is now uh, creating the clothes, like the dress that she is wearing, uh, and selling it to the people in her community uh, as a way to start a small business uh, and to help to climb her way out of poverty. This is just one story of the ways in which Sepad is helping uh, men and women uh, uh, better themselves, you might say, uh, and this is, uh, was a really special opportunity that we got to meet with them, and that was just one of the people that we got to meet, and so we're really grateful for the ministry that God is doing uh, in and through Nicaragua and that we get to be a part of as well. Another opportunity that's going to be forthcoming, uh, not today, uh, but in, in the near future, is that um, Bob Ellis has been a part of our a chaplain at the county jail, and uh, he's been getting curious about maybe starting a little ministry there on occasion with some folks from fellowship. Uh, and so there'll be a t time in the coming weeks, month or so, uh, where he'll be uh, here and he'll share a little bit more about that, but we wanted to give you just a little teaser to start thinking a little bit about uh, possibly thinking about my you be a person that might be called uh, to work with some of our, our uh, jailmates uh, in Ottawa County. Well, that's a good segue because on Wednesday, we are starting uh, our journey to the cross and ultimately to the empty tomb uh, with the season of Lent. And that season will start on Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday. We'll have a service here at 6.30 p.m. It'll be live streamed as well. Uh, there'll be a meal over there if you want to come uh, to the sanctuary uh, or come to the church uh, at 5.45. We'll have a meal and then we'll come into the, uh, here for our service at 6.30 p.m. And that will also kick off uh, our Lenten journey, and one of the taglines is with love, and we're going to give a uh, uh, journey together towards Jesus um, by uh, taking part in some ancient practices that the church has done for ages, centuries, millennia, you might even say, uh, and the, the, the practices are prayer, fasting, and uh, acts of charity, of justice, of mercy. Um, and so one of the ways in which we will do that is by giving you an opportunity to take a first step in one of those acts uh, each week. Uh, and next week, we're going to do that with uh, caring for uh, or, or feeding the hungry would be the, the prompt that we'll be considering next week. And so after the service next week, we'll do a little service project together if you would like to join us in that. 
My friends, these uh, opportunities for us to partner with God, both locally, globally, and right here <laughs> at Fellowship Church in, in our worship together, are made possible by our shared giving uh, of our tithes and offerings. Uh, and so if you would like to take part in the giving of your tithes and offerings, uh, you can do that at the bowls in the back of the sanctuary or online uh, at the church website. The children at this time are dismissed to their places of worship while the rest of us uh, join and prepare our hearts uh, for hearing God's word this morning. Let's stand and sing together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to gather together as friends, friends of our great friend, which is you. We're grateful that we get to sing it together and pray together and celebrate the good news that you are doing um, and the good things that you are doing within our community and around the world. And we are grateful that we get to study your scriptures we pray that as we turn toward those scriptures that you would um, open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we might hear, and open our hearts that we might love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. 
My name is Tiara, if I have not yet met you. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the seventh week of a series that we're calling The Teacher. Uh, throughout this series, for the last several weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, now, Matthew's Gospel, like all of the other Gospels, regards Jesus as um, Lord, um, as Savior, um, as friend. Uh, but Matthew's Gospel, in particular, also highlights the fact that Jesus is also teacher. And so we've been spending the last several weeks exploring the teachings of Jesus to hear what they might have to say to us in our own time. In this morning's teaching from Jesus, Peter, Simon Peter, uh, takes center stage. Simon Peter, the son of Jonah. Uh, Simon Peter, the fisherman. Simon Peter, who I'd like to think if the apostles had Enneagram numbers. Simon Peter, who's an Enneagram 8, um, he's really bold, really forthright, a little bit of a challenger, always speaks first. Um, if John is the disciple that Jesus loved, which is how he refers to himself in his own gospel, I imagine Peter as the most exasperating disciple, uh, the one who exasperates Jesus the most, which makes Peter, I think, a disciple after our own hearts. Peter's journey raises some familiarity for us um, as we think about our own journeys on display. But Peter's journey also raises some questions for us, um, things that we consider as we move through these passages today. Questions like, who do we say Jesus is? And how does our declaration of Jesus impact others? And what happens when we get our declaration wrong? And ultimately, why does it matter? So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16, picking up in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our narrative picks up in a rather interesting place. Jesus has been teaching throughout all the hot spots, the major and minor spots of Judea, and he decides one day to nudge his disciples. Who do people say that I am, he asks. A prophet, they say, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Elijah, they say. But then he decides to probe further. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who's always the first to respond, may not always be right, but he is the first to respond. He says very proudly, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. 
And Jesus is pleased with his answer, so much so that he speaks a blessing over Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus makes a pun with Jesus' name. Peter's Aramaic name is Cephas. Um, Peter's Greek name is Petros. Repeat after me, Petros which is quite close, eerily close to the Greek word for rock, which is Petra. Let me repeat after me, Petra. Petras, Petra. See how similar they are? Uh, Very, very similar. Uh, So Jesus is saying that Peter is the foundation of the church. He sort of renames Peter uh, the rock upon which the church would be built. Now, a great deal of ink has been spilt on this particular passage, um, this particular verse, um, across uh, the three major traditions of Christianity, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, and also the Protestant Church, trying to understand what exactly does Jesus mean when he says that Peter is the rock upon whom the church will be built. And as much as I love a good debate, and as much as I love introducing you to a really great debate, I'm so not going to do that <laughs> today. I'm actually going to err on the side of the brilliance of N.T. Wright, uh, who's a New Testament scholar, uh, and he's English, so everything he says must be right. And, uh, and he, says, <laughs> uh, he says that it is actually Peter's declaration of faith. Peter's declaration of faith in the Christ that is blessed by Jesus, that becomes the rock upon which God will build his church. Peter's faith, his declaration, his testimony, his witness in word and in deed is the rock that God will use to build and expand his church. Peter's faith is the starting point of a movement, of a community of people who follow after God. And our faith continues to build and expand God's kingdom, God's church. Now, I know what you're thinking. Can the faith of an ordinary fisherman or pastors or teachers or accountants or plumbers or bricklayers, can the faith of ordinary people be the very rock upon which God builds and expands his church? I see the question that I just rhetorically asked you to rhetorically ask me, and I raise you the example of Father Bill Holt, uh, OP, uh, who is, uh, OP means Order of Preachers. He's a Dominican priest. Uh, He appeared in the story of um, uh, The Humans of New York, which actually Reverend Dieleman cited a a few weeks ago. There's a book, Humans of New York. They have a Facebook page, and Father Bill Holt was featured. um, He's in New York, uh, and he is a very, very interesting guy, and he has a lot to say, uh, but I won't I won't read through everything that he says because it's actually quite a lengthy inclusion, but he, he does say this. He relays this story. He says, one Christmas time, there was a 10-year-old girl from Ireland dying of leukemia, and all this girl wanted was a cabbage patch doll, ugliest doll you've ever seen in your life, $75, $75, and sold out everywhere. The mother told me, I've looked everywhere in every store for this doll. Now, that same day, a family from my parish asked what I wanted for Christmas, and I said, one Cabbage Patch doll, and two walkie-talkies. And they said, Father, are you sure? (laughs) And he says, yes, I'm sure. I was a kid once too. And the Cabbage Patch doll went to the little girl, and then I gave one walkie-talkie to her and one to her twin brother so they could speak while she was in isolation. And after she passed, the mother wrote me a letter. I keep it in my sunshine file. It said, 
Those walkie-talkies were the best medicine she ever had. That doesn't warm your heart. The comment section will. Usually comments are just like where you go to torture yourself after you read something really cool. In this instance, not so much. Uh, It was full of people who had never been a part of the church, people who had fallen away from the church, who had things like this to say. Where is your parish father? Your presence, your outlook, your optimism and kindness, that's the kind of religion I want to be a part of. Or things like this. I have something in my eye. Maybe tears. (laughs) Even someone like me who's not religious can see someone doing God's work in a kind heart. And then there was this one. There is not enough love to convey to you for this. You are the epitome of what you stand for. You live it, not just preach it. Thank you. You've restored my faith. Our faith our real life, in real time, word and deed, witness to Christ, is the rock upon which God builds and expands his church. But the converse is also true. Our real life, in real time, word and deed, denial of Christ, is like a rainy day on a construction site. It halts the building. Here's what I mean. From Peter's profession of faith, Jesus decides to go much deeper with his disciples. He begins to tell them what's coming, mainly that he's heading to Jerusalem where he will suffer, be killed, and be raised on the third day. And Peter's brain nearly explodes. He can't believe it. He's just professed faith in this Jesus as the Christ. And so Peter is so stunned that he literally pulls Jesus aside to correct him. This can't possibly happen to you, Jesus, or Peter Peter says to Jesus. And Jesus then says some pretty harsh words to Peter. In fact, Jesus uses the very words that he says to Satan a few chapters earlier when he's in the wilderness. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says. Jesus and Peter are not on the same page. And at first glance, it can be kind of hard to figure out what went wrong here. What went wrong here? Peter says Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus affirms his profession of him as the Christ. And while Peter is calling Jesus the Christ, it seems that he doesn't exactly know what that word Christ means. This would have been a perfect moment for a joke on a slide. There it is. (laughs) Uh, So Peter calls Jesus the Christ. Uh, The Greek word for Christ is uh, Christos, um, which is not in my notes. I'm trying to remember that off the top of my head, Uh, which means Messiah. It means Christ. It also means Messiah. And what does a Messiah do? What does a Messiah do? Saves, rescues, pretty straightforward. Uh, The question though is how does a Messiah rescue or save? That's where Peter and Jesus are not exactly on the same page. Um, I think Peter has a story of a Jewish Messiah in mind. Um, I think Peter has a job description for what a Jewish Messiah does. Um, It's a story that's etched on the minds of God's people. It's a story that some of you have probably heard before too. It goes all the way back to the story of a guy named Judas Maccabeus. How many of you have heard of Judas Maccabeus? A couple folks, good, awesome. I'm not gonna go into the full story of all the things, even though I would love to, but I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, Judas Maccabeus was a military hero of the Jewish wars of independence against the Syrians. Uh, so think maybe 160 years before the time of Jesus, uh, Judas Maccabeus's father um, actually led a revolt um, against the king of Syria, and it began when he came into the temple while a, a, a Jewish priest was offering a pagan sacrifice, um, and he executes the priest and his and the soldier, the Syrian soldier who's standing guard. Now, 
what would bring this man to such great lengths? Uh, Partly because the king of Syria uh, decided one day that he wanted to unite his empire, and the best way to do that was to have people worship one God. Coincidentally, himself, uh, he called himself God manifest. He forbade the practice of Judaism. So no Torah, uh, no temple sacrifices, no circumcision. Not sure how he would figure that out. But he forbade the practice of Judaism um, throughout Judea. And he even desecrated the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies, which is like the ultimate, like vomit-worthy desecration. Uh, So Judas Maccabeus' dad, Mattathias, reacts pretty strongly to this. And then he and his family flee to the hills where tons of other people join them. They literally join them because they want to fight against the Syrians too. They've also had enough. This is the stuff that Michael Bay movies are like made of. Um, So eventually, about three years to the day of this this desecration of the temple, um, the Maccabees managed to fight their way through the streets of Jerusalem back into the temple. They recover the temple. They rededicate it for worship to God. Um, and then for the, for the next couple of decades, they basically fight against the Syrians successfully so much so that they managed, they managed to secure independence for the land of Judea for a hundred years. Not only that, but they push back the boundaries, the geographical boundaries of the land of Judea further, some scholars say, than even during the time of David and Solomon. You hear the job description in there? You hear the job description of what a Messiah does in there? You hear what a Jewish Messiah does who's a warrior or who leads a rebellion or who vanquishes the enemies of God's people or who enlarges the geographical borders of the land of God's people. That's a Messiah. That's a Messiah, the living son of God, victorious in battle against God's enemies, foreign and domestic. That's a Christ, a rabbi who dies in the streets like a rebel peasant is decidedly not And so when Jesus says to his disciples that he will suffer and he will die, Peter pulls him aside to remind him of his job description. You are the Christ. You don't die. You vanquish our enemies. Now, in just a few short seconds, Peter goes from being a rock to a stumbling block. Jesus says. Are you following Jesus's metaphor here? Jesus refers to Peter's declaration here as a stumbling block. Uh, In the Greek, Jesus says that Peter's declaration is a scandalon. Let me hear you say scandalon. Scandalon. You hear a familiar word in there? Uh, It means test or it means trap. It means temptation to sin or scandal. Scandal, as in that which causes people to react in revulsion and results in opposition, disapproval, or hostility. Are you following Jesus's metaphor? Peter's faith can either be the rock upon which the church is built or expanded, or Peter's faith can be a stumbling block, a scandal that results in opposition to the church. Peter's declaration, Peter's witness to Christ can either be a building block or a stumbling block. But notice the subtle distinction between the two. When Peter professes Christ, the actual Christ, the true Christ, his faith is a building block. When Peter professes his idols, or worse yet, conflates his idols, confuses his idols with the person of Christ, maybe mixes in his own agenda for geopolitical victory with the mission of Christ, his faith, his profession becomes a stumbling block, a scandal even. 
when Peter professes the wrong Christ, his faith becomes a stumbling block. And this is as true in our time as it was in Peter's time. Remember Father Holtz in the comments, even from unbelievers who were touched deep within their souls by his witness. But there are a couple other comments that stuck with me. Uh, The first is this one. If all Christians were like him, like Father Holt, I and many others, and I'm sure many others, wouldn't be so resentful of Christianity. Check the nearly 1,000 thumbs ups and hearts um, underneath that comment. Or this one. If this man had been my experience of religion, I might have stayed with it. But an absolutely incredible human being, I wish... I knew him. Do you hear the lament there? Can you picture the person who wrote it? Or maybe someone like the person who wrote it. Maybe a friend or a loved one in your own life who could have written that comment. Maybe even you. A person who was hurt by the church so badly that they walked away from it entirely. It's not just Peter's declaration or Peter's witness to the wrong Christ that can be a stumbling block. It's ours too. So Jesus calls Peter a stumbling block, but notice he doesn't stop there. He tells Peter to get behind him. Now, I think we sometimes get a little distracted by Jesus calling Peter Satan uh, such that we miss the graciousness of what takes place in this exchange. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi and Peter is what? He's a disciple. And what do disciples do with their rabbis? They... They follow, they follow. Uh, Remember when Jesus approaches his disciples, what does he say to them to do? Come and follow me. In our mission statement, who do, what do we exist to do? Develop faithful what of Jesus? Followers. Uh, Stanley Hauerwas, he is a pretty amazing theologian of our own time. And while I don't love everything that he writes, um, I purposely read him because I don't love everything that he writes. And he often says things that make me just think differently about faith and um, the church. And he says, um, he says this very succinctly in his comments on this text. He says, Jesus does not ask us to believe in him. Rather, he asks his disciples to follow him even unto death. Now, far be it for a theologian to suggest that knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus isn't important. And if you know me well enough, you know that I value knowledge of God. Uh, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that our knowledge of God is relational. That, 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 relational because it emerges in relationship with God. Christ is best taught through the daily practice of following him. It's in following Jesus that God is revealed to our minds and our hearts and in our lives. Peter and the rest of the disciples are disciples, not because they know of Jesus, but precisely because they follow him. They follow him. To follow behind a rabbi was to take on a posture of of, um, respect for the rabbi, but specifically to take on a posture of learning. That's That's why disciples often walked behind their rabbi. They walked behind. So why am I telling you this? Because you need to hear Jesus' harsh uh, rebuke of Peter, not as a dismissal of Peter. It's not a dismissal. Uh, It's a stern, albeit stern, invitation to fall back into the posture of a learner of a learner. Remember, a rabbi teaches, and this rabbi is teaching Peter the way of the kingdom. Do you hear the grace there? When Peter misses the point of Jesus' mission, Jesus doesn't discard him. Instead, he invites Jesus, or he invites Peter once again to learn from him. And even when Peter gets in wrong, even when we miss it too, Jesus doesn't discard us. He invites us back into the posture of a student following her rabbi. 
Now, what does Jesus want Peter to learn? Jesus presents a picture of what it means to follow him. And at first glance, it sounds like it's to use Reverend Duleman's words from a few weeks ago, all rigor, um, except that Jesus frames it in terms of gaining or finding life, gaining or finding life. Um, he says, in which life in which life is, this is, a, this is just a really, really cool way of Jesus kind of reiterating that he's inaugurating an upside down kingdom in which finding life um, is as good as forfeiting everything that we know. And to cling to life as we know it is as good as forfeiting the promise of the kingdom that he brings. Now, what could that possibly mean? I think it means that to follow Jesus is to deny, as he says, every instinct and habit and pattern and disposition and yes, your behavior too, um, or institution that stands opposed to love and to life, or simply put, sin in all of its forms. St. Augustine describes sin as that which is a privation of the good, meaning it is parasitic. It's like a parasite on the good that God created. Um, you might say that sin is like mold on bread. Um, sin is like rust on a boat. Um, sin, as we learned last week, is like weeds in a garden. Sin is a parasite that slowly sucks the life out of its host. Sin is the lust in the heart that eventually gives way to behavior that destroys the mirror. Sin is the envy in the heart that eventually drives a wedge in a friendship. Sin is the wrath in the heart that eventually breaks down the working relationship. Sin is the greed in the heart that eventually tanks the economy. Sin is the covetousness in the heart that eventually kills others for their possessions. You get where I'm going with this. Long before sin is ever an outward behavior or a deed, it is a tiny speck of spiritual rust in the heart. It's a habitual bent toward the self. And because of this, it's a habitual bent away from God and away from others which is why the opposite of sin, and perhaps even the antidote to sin, is love. To follow him, Jesus says, to Peter and to us, is to unlearn sin and selfishness. And we do this by learning to love God and love others. Because it's only in the daily practice of sacrificial love of God and others that we are transformed into the image of Christ. Think of your heart like a muscle, like a physical muscle, like your bicep, or if you're me, your non-existent bicep. Uh, think of your heart like a muscle. Sin is the thing that weakens or atrophies the muscle. It makes it weak, um, so much so that it collapses in on itself. Love, on the other hand, is like a workout or lifting weights. I mean, it gradually transforms and it strengthens the heart. It strengthens the heart. It gives it more capacity, uh, more capacity to, um, to live and to love um, more and more until uh, into eternity. It begins with God's love poured into our own hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's sustained by that same Holy Spirit who gradually conforms us to the image of Christ, but who also, the Holy Spirit who also takes and breaks and blesses and gives our daily habits of rugged, radical, sacrificial love toward God and others. Love strengthens our hearts. It enlarges our hearts. Why? For two primary reasons. So that our word indeed, witness to the risen Christ, might be an instrument in God's hands to build and restore the faith of others. But also, and ultimately, that we might be the kinds of people who come to desire and choose to dwell forever with the God who is himself, goodness, holiness, and love. Here's what I mean. 
just after this moment, roughly six days later, Jesus takes a bold but still learning Peter, along with James and John, on a hike. It's a pretty big hike. Um, They end up at the top of a mountain, and while they're up there, Jesus' face is transfigured before them, as in his face quite literally glows. It radiates um, his majestic divinity reflected through his very, very, very human flesh. And they're also appearing before them are Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Matthew wants you to see the law as represented by Moses and the prophets um, as represented by Elijah, all pointing toward Christ. And it is quite the sight. And in this moment, you can guess who's going to be the first person to speak. Guess. Peter, yeah. Uh, In this moment, Peter, who has no idea what to say, but speaks anyway, he sheepishly offers hey, what if we make some tents? Um, What if we make some tents for us to kind of stay up here for a little while? Which is sort of like being at the top of Mount Rainier and talking about cheese samples at Costco. Uh, But to give Peter a little bit of credit, I think he's actually sort of on to something. And all of this talk about our word and deed witness to Christ uh, being either the rock upon which God builds and expands his church or a scandal that causes revulsion and hostility and opposition to the church, And all this talk about unlearning sin and selfishness through learning radical sacrificial love of God and others, Jesus offers a glimpse to the disciples in this moment of where it all leads to life with and in God for all eternity, to eternal communion with the God of the cosmos who created us, you and me, ordinary mortals for eternal communion, loving fellowship with himself and with one another in him. In living a life in which we constantly choose to love this God, come what may to us, persecution, martyrdom, and even the discomfort of choosing God even over our own sin and selfishness, and even choosing a life in which we love others for their own sake rather than for our own sake, that somehow in all of that we are transformed into the kind of people who share in and delight in the goodness of God himself not as a ploy for eternal self-preservation, but simply because we love, desire, and delight in our God. So much so that even eternity isn't enough with him. Let's just stay here for a little while longer, Peter says, as he gazes upon the emblazoned face of Christ. It's a ridiculous comment, really. Maybe silence would have been better. But I think Peter just allows himself just a little bit to be mesmerized and taken aback by the sight of God's glory reflected through the face, the human face of Christ. And I wonder, I wonder if there might be something like attraction and delight in that, even within us, as we prepare for that eternity. It is my prayer for the church and specifically for you and for me that the love of God may not only transform us into the kinds of rocks that other people's faith and the restoration of their faith is built on, but that ultimately that we would be transformed into the kind of people who want, like Peter, to behold and to dwell with God forever. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for the loving fellowship within the Godhead and and the loving fellowship that reaches out to human beings created in love and for love and with love. We thank you for the ways that you call us out of sin and selfishness and back into love. We thank you for the ways that you remind us that this journey is one of sloughing off sin, of discarding our comfort um, so that we can choose you even to the point of death on a cross. 
And we thank you that ultimately that this is fruitful, made fruitful by you for the sake of others and ultimately for the sake of our ability to dwell with you and desire to dwell with you forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Friends, when we look upon Jesus and we see him for who he truly is, our faith can be a rock. And when we misunderstand, our faith can be a stumbling block. So in this final song, um, the invitation is simply to behold Christ. Let's do that together. Would you stand and let's sing.
one final blessing for us this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.